Good evening, LCM. Good evening. Tonight is Thursday, May 12th, 2022. Church, we are going to have a great time tonight. We have a word for you all that the Lord has planted into the plowed soil of our heart, has caused it to sprout and grow in us, and now we want to share with you the harvest of that crop. Amen. Is that okay with all of you? Yeah. Come on. All right. Well, the title of tonight's message is Hands Off My Fruits. Come on, hands off my fruits. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's going to get better, brother. Has anyone else? That's right. Whew. Has anyone else been blessed by the recent revelations that our body has received? Personally, my study has been transformed by new insights due to the harvest cycle process. And I can't emphasize it enough. It's a process. God has been good to provide the necessary nutrients. And as we open wide our hearts to receive, uh, we can see the abundant growth. That growth, church, is worth fighting for. In Sunday's sermon, we learned about the cyclical pattern that occurs in the harvest and also within each of us. Our ability to see the soil of our heart rightly in each rightly in each will prepare us to reproduce in the next we also learned more about the seven crops that are a necessity to have them all we don't want to leave one out we want the whole harvest the harvest that we obtain is so good it's not just kept for ourselves we want to share that harvest with others let's all turn to deuteronomy 8 1 as we begin to jump into tonight say hands off as you turn there All right, Deuteronomy 8, and we're going to read 1 through 8. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today. Say every. every. So that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. What a glorious chapter, is it this church? This chapter has been speaking to our body for two weeks. We have wrestled with questions on Tuesday night, like, is this the result of my sinful actions? You know, the testing, the 70 days kind of testing. Is this the result of my sinful actions? Or is this just the reality of being opposed on my journey of redemption? Well, you have learned that the answer is both, of course. But tonight... We want you to get this question completely out of your minds. We are living careful and we are following every command that the Lord is giving us, LCM. You are living and increasing in this body. You are living. You are increasing. You are careful to follow his commands. You are obedient to the Lord because you're still here. You haven't gone anywhere. You haven't given up, and you will not give up. All right, verse 2. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. The sovereignty of God is amazing. Amen? Yes. 
All of us have experienced times of humbling, hunger, and then being filled. We serve a good God who causes us to hunger for what we need. Come on. Picking up in verse 4, it says, Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valley and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey. Man, we have a slide for you. You see that the Lord has brought you into a land, LCM. The Lord has brought you into this land, LCM, where you are harvesting these fruits. You're learning to harvest them right now. And the Lord will continue this cycle of harvest. The Lord is going to continue to fill you through fragility. The Lord is going to continue to give you provision in poverty. He's going to continue to crush judgment that brings new life and joy. He's going to bring you to that crushing judgment. He's going to bring you to circumcision unto fruitfulness. He's going to robe you in God's commands. He's going to allow you to experience the pressing that brings light and life. And he is giving you the sweetness of his word every single day. See, the truth is, is you came from a humbling desert. That's where you came from before you got here. And some of you are still experiencing the humbling desert. But thank God, this is in our future. He is going to continually harvest these fruits in your life. Now, the Lord has also been speaking to this body from Numbers 13, 17 through 20. So let's turn to Numbers 13, 17 through 20. Yeah. All night. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like, and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees on it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. Oh, yeah. Come on. Ripe grapes. That made for use for making good stuff. Moses is asking three very important questions here. How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? If you remember from Sunday's message, the, uh, these three questions displayed Moses' understanding of the promise that God was going to give the Israelites. God confirmed in his covenant that he would bring them to a sevenfold fruitful land, and these questions were asked with the Israelites' participation in mind. That's so good he wants the, the participation. It's not something, it's something he's involving us into. That's so yeah. good. The questions weren't an excuse to not enter in. It was giving them perspective of what they must do, where they should begin when they cross into it. Oh, come on, wrestle with that, church. Moses is not asking these questions so that he can eliminate his participation in what God was giving. 
He was asking the questions to know how to participate in what God was giving. So let's review question number one. How is the soil? Boy, that's a great question. He's essentially asking, are we going to have to till it? Are we going to have to remove rocks? I mean, do we really need to, to uncover every stone in the land that God's giving us? Are, are my hands going to have to get dirty? <laughs> are we going to have to break up fallow ground? Or can we, can we just start planting right away as soon as we get there? Which all of us kind of wish that was the case, right? Those are good questions to ask about the promise that God is bringing you. Am I going to have to work it? Question two, is it fertile or poor? Does it produce an abundance of crop? Be a good thing to know, right? You want to know whether you're going in. Is it, is it fruitful or not? A great multiplication of seed? Or does it struggle to produce life? Does it swallow the life altogether? Insatiable. Are we going to have to continually cultivate it? Come on now. Sounds like someone's going to be getting some calluses on their hands. Oh, I don't know. Do we, can't we just work the ground one time and then it produce all the fruit that we need? Or do we have to continually cultivate it? Listen to question three. Are there trees on it or not? Are there established signs of fruitfulness that, that can sustain us until our next season of harvest? I mean, will they yield us what we need while we start the process? Is there already fruit established in the land? Can the land even sustain cycles of growth? Oh, come on. All of you are looking at us like, like cattle look at a new gate. I know you've asked these questions. Can the land that I'm planted in really sustain cycles of growth? Can I expect to see growth over my lifetime? Woo! Can I expect to see growth over the lifetime of my sons and my disciples? See, these are all completely valid questions, aren't they, church? Ones that we must ask ourselves while having the bravery to hear the answer. Because, of course, the answer to all three of those questions is yes. But I suppose a better question is, are we ready for this commitment, church? And, of course, the answer is yes, we are ready for the commitment. Now, while you meditate on the answer you just gave... It's probably worth considering Leviticus 25, 18 through 19. And this is going to bless y'all. Yeah. So let's turn to Leviticus 25, 18. Come on. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Follow my decrees and be careful to obey my laws, and you will live safely in the land. Then the land will yield its fruit, and you will eat your fill and live there in safety. Church, this is not a maybe. This is not a, it could possibly. This is, you will bear fruit. Come on. Can't say that enough. You will eat your fill. Come on. Like being at a buffet table. Come on. We do not need to be afraid of the final outcome at all. Oh, come on. Remove all doubt and fear tonight. You don't need to be afraid of question one. If you are tilling your soil, if you are removing every rock, if you are leaving no stone unturned, and Lincoln is ready to not leave a stone unturned, 
Our land will yield its fruit. Come on, church. This ain't a maybe. The land will yield its fruit. You also don't need to be afraid of question number two. If you are enduring cycle after cycle, like many of us in this room, you will bear fruit. If you are still here, if your life has grown in cultivation, and I know everybody in this room can say your life has grown in cultivation. I can look at every single person in this room and remember the years of cultivation that led up to where you are and your life has grown in cultivation. You need to know that you will eat and be satisfied. You also don't need to be afraid of question number three. If you are seeing trees that are taller than you, producing more fruit than you, rooted deeper than you, don't worry. You will produce fruit. Those trees are signs that you will do the same thing as long as you are planted in the same soil. Do not fear, church. The land will yield its fruit. You will eat the fruits of your labor. When I look at a man like Baj, I don't get afraid. I get comforted by the Lord because I know I will grow up into what he is. Church, never mind which cycle of the harvest you are in. Can we just stop trying to figure that out for a second? Focus on what God has promised. It's going to happen. Divest yourself of discouragement. Fruit is promised to you, church. Pull yourself from the pool of despondency. God has already said you will be satisfied. And now is the time to work with joy, knowing the final outcome. Hey, what about Leviticus 26, verse 3 through 5? Say, hands off my fruit as you're going. Oh, hands off. Leviticus 26.3. If you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my commands, I will send you rain in its season, and the ground will yield its crop, and the trees of the field their fruit. Your threshing will continue until grape harvest, and the grape harvest will continue until planting. You will eat all the food you want and live in safety in your land. I will grant peace in the land, and you will lie down, and no one will make you afraid. I will remove savage beasts from the land, and the sword will not pass through your country. You will pursue your enemies, and they will fall by the sword before you. Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you chase ten thousand, and your enemies will fall by the sword before you. Do you hear that same phrase, I will? Yes. That continues that the certainty, the confidence that the Lord's speaking to this. I will send you rain. The ground will yield its fruit. That certainty we can take confidence in. It's not, hypo- it's not hypothetical. That's fact. It continues in verse 5. Your threshing will continue until grape harvest. And grape harvest will continue until planting. Now we aren't agricultural uh, aficionados. Okay? Nope. We're not, not. Not the least bit. I, the most I have is planting a garden. And that, that, that's about it. With much, much fruits. But one thing that we recognize is the distance between these events. The threshing is a result of the barley and wheat that has been harvested before the grapes. The next step is to thresh it. The grape harvest is not during the same time, but comes after the wheat harvest. And this passage is prophetically saying 
that the grape harvest is going to carry you on to the next season's planting. Remember, you need to plow before you plant. Right. It's carrying you through seasons. There's an abundance being spoken of. And uh, if you're familiar with country proverbs, okay, then you know rain is a good thing, right? Yeah. yeah. Rain makes corn. Corn makes whiskey. And you know what whiskey does? It makes my baby frisky. And it's making her red right now. <laughs> Stamped it. He wants a brother. <laughs> he wants He might get one. Recognize the abundance and security that this yields. It's speaking of continuous harvest year round, much like Amos 9.13, when the reaper will overtake the plowman. Church, recognize that not only are you promised a harvest, you are promised a continual harvest. Year-round, we should not settle for anything less. We shouldn't settle for anything less, and we shouldn't ask ourselves, when is the harvest coming? Because you are promised a harvest year-round. I bet you if you look in your life right now, you are experiencing a harvest of some sort. You see, we shouldn't settle for any, anything less. But you know who hasn't settled for less? that we know about and we can point to? Israel. Anyone who's been to Israel knows that the land is yielding fruit year-round. You could drive out into the desert and you could see palm trees yielding fruit. You can drive around in the springtime and see fruit everywhere. Which brings up kind of an interesting point. When you see fruit in Israel, it's not just the ingenuity of the people that brought it about. God promised that this would happen. God promised it in his word. All of the passages that we have gleaned from tonight are speaking expressly about the land of Israel producing its fruit. You know, when you go to the grocery store and you pick up a, a plum, you might think to yourself, this is a nice plum. I can feel this plum. But note that that plum came from who knows where. Maybe the third, third world country of California. It's nothing special. It is fruit, and it is amazing that it grew, and it's amazing that you can eat it and all that good stuff. But ultimately, it came from who knows where. But if you were to go to Israel and walk through a fruit market, you would be walking through a market full of the promise of God. God promised that specific fruit would grow in that specific land by his word. Now, many would probably, I hope not, but many would probably see fruit in Israel as trivial as any other country's fruit. But you know who doesn't see it that way? Israel. They recognize that the fruit they have was promised to them by God. Every time they hold it, they say, this is God's promise to me. It says it in his word. That is why they take agriculture seriously. Because they see it as God's promise to them individually. It is theirs. God spoke it in his word. And therefore, they are going to partake in it. Which is what makes our next passage so special. Turn with us to 2 Samuel 23. Verse 11 through 12. And say, hands off my fruit when you get there. Yeah. 
That's so amazing. As you guys are turning there, how something so simple that we could take for granted, that fruit growing in Israel is that promise, a legitimate promise that each and every day the people of Israel could be holding an actual promise in their hand that God gave them. I mean, how good is that? It's blessing on blessing. It's amazing. All right. Starting in verse 11, next to him was Shammah, son of Agai, the Herorite. When the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field full of lentils, Israel's troops fled from them. But Shammah took his stand in the middle of the field. He defended it and struck the Philistines down. And the Lord brought about a great victory. Now, sadly, some in this room are not a fan of lentils. <laughs> but Shama was. But we seriously <laughs> But we seriously doubt that the lentils are what Shama was concerned about. Shama was one of David's mighty men. Oh yeah. He traveled and fought alongside David. Shama must have known that despite the fact that all the other troops had fled, this field must be defended. Because God has promised that it would bear fruit. Come on. He was a Jewish man in Israel defending what the God of Israel said would happen. Notice that he is defending a field of lentils that hasn't even been harvested yet. He is standing on God's promise. Now, I know a field of lentils may not look like much to most, especially before harvest, because that's when, it, when this is happening. It's a field of lentils, not a pile of harvested lentils. You following us? This is before the harvest, and it might not have looked like much, but God promised that the land would yield its fruit. Hallelujah. And guess, what, guess what's happening here? Shammah is taking his stand on what God said would happen. Oh, church, we need not be concerned with what our eyes can see. We need not be concerned on whether or not we see the harvest being reaped or not. We need to be concerned about the fruit God said would happen. And we need to fight for that. Now, notice where he stood in the middle of the field. Now, I don't know if you guys know what a field of lentils would look like. It's not really high. Nope. It's not tall grass where you can be kind of hiding and waiting to sneak up on your adversary. It's very low to the ground. He's clearly, yeah, he's clearly seen. And yet he's deciding to stand in the middle of that field. No intimidation. In fact, he's intimidating the Philistines as he's standing there and everyone else is running and he's standing ready for this fight. Shammah took his stand in the middle of the promise. Oh, church, now is the time to take your stand in the middle of what God has promised you. Even if you don't see the culmination. This is what it means to walk in our mezuzah. It was given to you as a promise that would bear fruit. This is what it means to take your stand on your family banner. It is a sign that you will bear fruit. Amen. Take your stand in the middle, the center, the strongest place of strategic high ground, and defend. Also notice that the text says in verse 12, he struck the Philistines down and, say and, and, and the Lord brought about a great victory. If the Philistines being struck down were not the victory, then what was? 
The victory was that the field was preserved, and so was the promise of God. Saints, when you see Philistines banding around your promise, it's time to say, hands off my fruits. We need to pick up a joyful attitude, and we need to rejoice in the opportunity to defend our field because we know that God has promised our fruit. When we see Philistines banding, we, we should not be discouraged about what's happening. We should stand up and say, yes, now I have a chance to defend it. God said it would happen, so I'm going to stand here until it does. When you see Philistines like doubt or fear, lust, pride, loss, impossible circumstances, great periods of waiting, rejoice. Yes. Come on. This is natural to the promise of God. If you have a promise of fruit, and you do, the enemy wants it. If a Philistine rises in you, you can smile and say, now I know that the part of the field to stand in. Hands off my fruit. Church, we need to overcome. We need to overcome with praise before and during the battle because your promise of fruit is going to happen. And this fruit is not just for you. It's for the whole nation. God promised it to us collectively, which is why verse 11 is so disheartening because many troops fled from the Philistines. Perhaps we need to pick up the attitude in 1 Samuel 14 before we do remember that it is 1 Samuel 14. Jonathan intended to cross down a cliff and onto the other side to attack a Philistine outpost. One side was called Bozes, which means thornbush. And the other side was called Sina, which means shining or glory. All right, y'all got that? Turn with us to 1 Samuel 14, 4 through 10. I'm sorry, we're going to start in verse 6. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. Jonathan said, come then. We will cross over towards the men and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. First off, notice that this is not a very good battle plan in terms of military strategy. What he's saying is, if they say wait, which is most unlikely that they would say this due to us having this strategic position on a cliff, then we will wait to find them, fight them. If they say, come up to us, which is most likely, then we will go through the tactical hardship of climbing to their high ground and we will fight them on their own turf. But see, it didn't matter to Jonathan. He was determined to move. Remember, he was standing on Bozes, which means thornbush. The other side was called Sina, which means light or glory. You see, if Jonathan would have stayed, 
then all he would have received is thorn bushes. But he had to move to advance from thorn bushes to light and glory. Now, if you don't see Jesus in that, then we'll just move on. But what is most remarkable, even though he determined, I am not going to stay at thorn bushes, I'm not going to stay where I'm at, I am moving towards light and glory. What is most remarkable is his young armor bearer's attitude. I am with you, heart and soul. Gosh, what an attitude. Church, this is the attitude we need. This attitude is what we must take on when considering our brothers and their promise of fruit. When we say, I'm with you, it is inspiring. It is confidence building. It spurs one another on to fight. It's amazing when Shaman took his stand, and we should all emulate that, but there should be no situation in this body where the troops are fleeing and one man defends the promise alone. We need to be heart and soul with one another in this room. Willing to do whatever it takes so we can help defend each other's fields and promise. When you see someone who has Philistines banded around them, we need to stand together, heart and soul, and collectively say, hands off my fruits. Because it's not just their fruits or their promise. It's our fruit and our promise. Yeah, when we see somebody struggling, the most inspiring thing you can do is say, hey, I'm with you, heart and soul. Steve Thomas, I am with you, heart and soul. Isn't that inspiring to you guys? Isn't it inspiring when a brother comes up to you and just says, hey, whatever's going on, whatever the difficulty is, I am with you, heart and soul. Your plan is crazy. Your plan's going to cost us probably our necks, but I trust you because God is with us and I am with you, heart and soul. There should never be a moment in this life when somebody is suffering alone. There should never be a moment in this body when someone is suffering and everybody's just, hey, you're on your own. Just get out of it, man. We should be looking at each other and saying, I am with you, heart and soul. When Philistines are banding around each other's hearts, we should rally to that man and not let Shama stand alone and say, hey, God promised me fruit. But Spencer, God promised you fruit as well. And so I'm going to fight to defend the fruit that God promised in our lives together. Because Spencer's fruit is my fruits. And when the enemy bands around us say, don't touch my fruits, man. You touch Spencer's fruits, you touch my fruits too. And I am not putting up with it. We need to have this understanding that the fruit promised to Pastor Wade is the fruit promised to me. The fruit promised to Caleb Brown is the fruit promised to me. This is how we fight and we go through cycles of harvest together as one. Turn with us to Isaiah 58 verse 7 through 11. You guys with us? Isaiah 58 verse 7. Say hands off. It is not to share, is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, clothe him, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Come on, we're flesh and blood in this house, aren't we? Then, say then, then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Man, notice that your healing appears after you have clothed somebody else. (laughs) 
Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. So notice something here, because this happens again in Isaiah. Notice that it is after you have done this for someone else, then verse 8 happens. After you have provided, after you have clothed, after you have done these things, then your light will break forth. Your healing will appear. You will move from thorn bushes to shining in glory. When your focus is on being heart and soul with this body, defending the promises one, then our collective light will shine together. Now look how this repeats in verse 9. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk. We need to do away with the pointing finger and malicious talk and actually stand together. If, you're all, if all you're doing is pointing out the Philistines, Shama, and not just standing with him, then shame on you. We call out the advancements of the enemy, and we stand and fight heart and soul. But verse 10 is where this body is at. And if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. He will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Do you see what it's saying here in verse 10? If you spend yourself, if you spend yourself, church. Man, when was the last time you spent yourself? And we're not talking about money at the store or Amazon. Like, man, I had a really nice cart on Amazon. I got everything I wanted. And it was all delivered when they said it'd be delivered. And now I'm broke. Man, I spent myself. Spent that paycheck. I mean, when have you given yourself over fully? When have you emptied yourself? When have you gave all that you had on behalf of someone else to satisfy the needs of someone else? See, Shama spends himself in order to protect and hold on to the promises of the fruit spoken by God. He stands where no one else would stand. All of the other troops are fleeing and they're running. And he's, he sees what was promised by God and he spends himself. That's because those promises are not only for him, but also for the people of Israel. The promises that you spend yourself for each other are for the collective people. That's what we do. We spend ourselves for one another. Church, like Shama, we can spend, ourse- spend ourselves as we hold on to, fight, and protect the promises of fruit for his people, Israel, and the fruit of our body. Church, there is a harvest that is worth spending ourselves for. We've experienced it before, and we're going to experience it in whole new levels as this body, in this body as we mature. This harvest is worth spending ourselves for for one another. It is awesome. It is glorious, glorious, and it is worth the effort. That's a good word. Let's check out, just like Justin said, 
what must happen first? The spending of yourself first, the giving of yourself for somebody else. Check out the results, what happens after you've done that. Your light will rise in the darkness. You will be a beacon of hope that is a sign for others, those that need the hope to join the fight. Your night will become like noonday. Even in dark circumstances, there is clarity. You can see what is worth fighting for and never lose track of the promises. The Lord will guide you always. You will be able to lead on level ground because it's the Lord that is going before you in the situation. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will have a promised harvest in the worst of conditions and not just be sustained, but grow. Amen. You will be like a well-watered garden, yeah. a spring whose waters never fail. There will be fruitful produce, all kinds of fruit that will provide for those around you. Look at the fruit of the harvest that comes from the spending of oneself for the others around him. This is what we are experiencing, church. We're learning to say, don't touch my fruits. Isaiah shows us. Isaiah shows us what we become when we put others before ourselves. Jeremiah shows us what happens when we do that while trusting in the promised fruit. Pick up with us in Jeremiah 17, starting in verse 5. All right, say, don't touch my fruits when you're there. All right, verse 5. This is what the Lord said. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength, and whose hearts turn away from the Lord. He will be like a bush in the wastelands. He will not see prosperity when it comes. He will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. Church, the truth is, and we're going to get on in Jeremiah 17, verse 7, but we're going to pause here for a second. If you are trusting in what man can do, if you are trusting in your own ability to bear fruit, your own rationalizing of how it will be harvested, your own thinking, anything that you can do trusting in man, then you are like a bush in a wasteland. If you're depending on flesh for strength, only relying on what your efforts and what they amount to, failing to have faith in God because you just don't see the reality in the flesh, well, then you're like the parched places in the desert. And that is so true. Many of you, you feel like you're parched. That's because you're not trusting in what God has already said. You feel parched because you're not rallying to where the fruit is. You're not rallying with your brothers. You feel like you're in a desert place because everything is filtering through your mind and what you can see a reality of. The truth is, is the fruit was promised by God to you. It is a reality that, that is coming to you that you don't see. You see, all of these things are rooted in fear and they need to be replaced with faith that God will fulfill his promises. We need to look at what God has promised us and said he will fulfill that in my life whether I see it or not. The worst part about being a bush is that you, it says it in verse 6. 
You cannot see prosperity when it comes. Notice that it still comes. The harvest still comes. The fruit still comes. But you can't recognize it. Because you've trained your eyes to see what only the flesh can see. And you don't even notice that the harvest is all around us. The harvest still comes, but you can't recognize it because you haven't been trusting in what God's promise says. Your heart is like a desert wasteland and nothing, no amount of rain could be poured on it to make that alive. You see, you will not be able to see the promises of God fulfilled in your life, even if they are being fulfilled in your life. This kind of thinking, this fleshly reasoning, this thoughts of man, it will leave you like a dry, dead weed that instead of standing with your brother and defending the promise you start to fight against it you start to fight against it in each other you start to fight against it in yourself you start reasoning out all the way all the ways that God cannot perform what he promised as we promised we're going to pick up back in verse 7 but first listen to Psalm 82 verses 1 through 4 before we turn there it's amazing how the word of God pierces your heart. Yeah. We're, we're, we're studying for this, and we're going over this, this word before we came out here to share this with you guys. This right now is impacting me in a whole different light. How many times, I'm going to say this for me first, how many times I've had a harvest, a prosperity, and have not been able to see it because I'm operating so heavily in my own strength. And all I see is the weakness. All I see is that struggle, and nothing's happening, and there's prosperity there, and I don't even know it. See, what that really is, is Philistines banding around your field, banding around the promise that God said would happen, and you need to take your stand in the middle of what God promised. Man, and we, and we need those armor bearers to join the side. Come on. All right, Psalm 82. God presides in the great assembly. He gives judgment among the gods. How long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? Selah. Defend the cause of the weak and fatherless. Maintain the rights of the poor and oppressed. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. The foreign powers, the archons, the Philistines in us are judged for defending the unjust and showing partiality to the wicked. Instead of defending your brothers, promise of fruit, you defend your perceived unjustness. It's just not fair. It's not fair that he gets that and I get this, so I'm going to argue about it together. Mm. Or I'm not going to be proud of the fruit that he is bearing because I just don't see the fruit in my life. Instead of showing partiality to the people of God and our collective fruit, you show partiality to wicked thoughts. Church, these things show up in fights and arguments amongst us and is proof that you are siding with the Philistines and not Shama or Jonathan. We need to stand up and say to these powers, hands off my fruits. Amen. Let's pick up in verse 7 of Jeremiah 17. Now that we've talked about the curse, let's talk about the blessing. Y'all want to talk about the blessing? But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. I want to leave you with a quick note. To have your confidence in the Lord means that you have confidence in nothing else. To have your confidence in God means that you look at everything else and you don't have confidence in any of it. 
What that looks like is I have confidence in what the Lord is doing in my life. I have confidence in who God is. I have confidence in what he's working in my heart. I have confidence in this body. I have confidence in the corrections I receive. I have confidence in what God is doing in my home. I have confidence in what God is doing in the lives around me. To have confidence in the Lord means you have confidence in nothing else. God seeks to be all in all, even in your confidence. Verse 8, he will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Now, Many of you are reading this scripture and you're like, oh nice, Jeremiah 17 again. I've seen that on every sign, every pillow, every bumper sticker, and I know many of you have as well. But when I'm reading this with kind of the illusion of the first time, I think, this is pretty funny. This is like Hebrew humor right here. The tree has no worries, the tree does not fear. Well, that's kind of funny to me because trees don't fear. They literally don't have feelings. They don't fear at all. Trees don't worry. The trees don't fear. They just produce. That's all that they do. The roots just go deeper and deeper. They don't fear because they don't have a brain. If you trust in God's word, if you trust in God's promise to you, you will never fail to bear fruit. You will be like a tree that doesn't even have time to worry because you are going deeper and deeper and producing more fruit and more fruit. You will be, it didn't say you will be a tree, said you will be like a tree planted beside the water. See, when you begin to trust in the promises that God has given you, when you begin to stand in the middle of those promises, even though you don't see it, when you begin to stand together as one and fight for the promise, then you will begin to be a sign to those around you. You will begin to be the answer to question three that Moses asks. You will begin to be an established sign of fruitfulness that can sustain until next season of harvest. You, church, will be a sign to others that this land can yield cycles of continuous growth. When I see our pastors, when I see some of the mighty men in this room growing deeper and deeper, you are a sign to me. And I want to be a sign to others that I have done this. I trust in the Lord and therefore you can too. Which is probably what's going on in Mark 8, 22 through 24. Do y'all want to see it? Say so hands off my fruits as you turn. says, they came to Beth Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spat on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. This is so good. His eyes are open, and he sees people who look like trees. People who are the representation of God's faithfulness to supply a harvest before they themselves have a harvest. This is just like 
my encounter here at LCM. And I know I'm not the only one. When the first time you step in these doors and your eyes are open and you see faithfulness, a representation of it planted in a land where you know God's sending you, where you know if you come here, you can have a harvest. You can join in, be planted. You have a harvest you are provided for until you have the time to get your hands dirty. You get the time to plow and then plant and then seed. And then you're giving a harvest for those that are coming after. Church, this is what we must endeavor to be. We must endeavor to be these trees. When people have their eyes open, what are they going to see in this house? They're going to see established trees of righteousness that are planted beside streams of water. We need to trust in the Lord to be this for one another. You've got a brother with an offense with you? How about you be a tree? How about you trust the Lord? How about you produce and grow deeper in your roots? How about you defend the promise that God has already said of fruit? And perhaps when his eyes are open, he will see you standing as a tree. See, when brothers have their eyes open, they need to see us right beside them. Faithfulness over time is the answer, church. Showing up time and time again to fight for what God has already promised in this house. We will see new lands. We will see new fields seeded with abundance. But now we must defend the promise in our hearts. We must defend the promise in our families. We must defend the promise in our brothers and defend the promise of this house. Hands off my fruits, enemy. Now, as we work to a close, we want to give you a few charges. We want to take you to Colossians 1, 28. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end, I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. Church, we continue to see the pattern, the cycle of giving ourselves for our brothers. When we are lending our harvest, our fruit to our brothers, to raise them up and present them perfect in Christ, the struggle, the very real struggle is done with his energy that so powerfully works in you. To this end, we can labor. To this end, we can fight for each other's fields. Come on. We have seen the trees, the men and women who are the example of God's faithfulness over time and know that it is true. It's going to happen, church. Philippians 2, verse 1 through 4 says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, Consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest. Actually, that's wrong. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. Church, do you have any encouragement from Christ? 
Do you have any encouragement from being attached to the promise of God? Do you have any comfort? Do you have any fellowship with His Spirit? How about tenderness and compassion? Then be like-minded, church. Be heart and soul with one another. Fight together for each other's promise of fruit. Stand together and say, hey, why is your face downcast? God promised you fruit, and we're going to stand together until we see it. If we do this, then we will see our own fields grow because we all share the same field. Man, when I start seeing Bim's field grow, that's my field growing. When When I see Cody and Rob's fields growing, that's my field growing. Church, do not succumb to the lonesome and loathsome thinking that everything is about you. So easy to do. So easy to get wrapped up in my calling, this calling, that, his calling, my calling, which is better. Don't succumb to that, church. Fight against the Philistine that tells you that you are better and therefore more important than anyone in this room. The truth is, is you should be able to look at everybody in this room as better than yourselves. Everybody in this room has something to offer me in the kingdom. Everybody has the ability to fight together and stand on what God promised would happen. I can look at every single person in this room and call out things that each and every one of you can contribute to my life. You ought to be able to do the same with every person in this room. No matter how much you know them, no matter how much you think you get along or don't get along, you should be able to look at everyone and say, his fruit is my fruit. Enemy, get your hands off my fruits. Disband the Philistine raiders in your heart that say your wants and needs should be put before anyone else. Consider your brother's promise greater than yours. And then you will rise to shining glory. You'll leave those thorn bushes behind and you'll cross right over to shining glory and fight side by side together. Let's go for our last scripture to Galatians 6, starting in verse 8. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Church, this, this scripture, when it's talking about not giving up, not, not, uh, not becoming weary, right, and not giving up, imagine that, that, that phrase there is to not loose, not let go of something. So imagine you're pulling on a rope, okay? You're pulling on a rope, and you're building up to something. You're moving, you're moving, and you're, you're gaining ground, and you're excited. And then you come to a point where you're not moving anymore right? Our thought process is many times that we don't see progress, that we're not, we're not progressing. We're not doing anything. So we think that we're losing. The only way you lose is if you loose that rope. The only way that the enemy overcomes you 
is if you decide to give up. But you hold on to that rope. You hold that line, and you don't give an inch. And then you'll have brothers that will come alongside you. You have the ones that will say, brother, I see how hard you're struggling. I am with you. I'm with you heart and soul. And I'm going to be right there with you. I'm going to start pulling on that rope with you. And you guys will start moving it again if we just don't give up. What we have for others if we just don't give up. As we close, we're going to ponder verse 8 here. This body is sowing to please the Spirit. It is promised to us that we, we, we will reap spiritual fruit. As long as you're with this body, heart and soul, you will bear fruit. It's a promise. Yes. We need not to become weary, brothers and sisters. We should fight because we trust the promises of God. Any day that is difficult is only defending the promise that God gave. The future fruit of what we know will happen. In this body... Let's stand together, heart and soul. Let's rise up in faith and crush all doubt and disappointment. Let's look straight at the enemy with bold courage and say, hands off my fruit with joy. Let's put a smile on our face because the battle for our promised fruit is going to produce fruit. Let's pray. Mighty King, we thank you, Lord God. We thank you that if we just do not loosen our grip, mighty God, we have fruit. We are producing. We're thankful for the men and women before us that have shown us the trees in our life, the faithfulness over time, that we can produce and reap a harvest just like they have, and we can give it to others. Mighty King, let us have confidence in this house today. Let us have confidence as we rise up, mighty God, to give you the praise and glory for the promises you have given.